0: You guys may be seated. Do you realize that in singing that song, you were singing Scripture? You were also participating in what worship in heaven will be like? In a section in Worship in Heaven, John writes in Revelation chapter 4, Day after day, night after night, they keep on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor, And thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne, and they say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and they exist before you created what you pleased." You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. This is my story. This is my song. You know, at times in each of our lives, in the story that God is writing, he puts a little asterisk and says, hey, stop and, and pray for this part of your story. And we've, uh, we've had some of that in our body, some needs over this past week, past couple weeks that we should stop and pray for. Uh, I think of uh, my father-in-law, Roger, who I think most of you know by now, a couple weeks back, had a couple of strokes uh, that greatly affected his, uh, his right leg. Uh, we need to keep praying for him and, and what role this will play in his story. We need to pray for Lucille, who had shoulder surgery this past week. Uh, pray for healing for her. We need to pray for the Palmers, uh, a long-time part of our, of our body, who have had a, a difficult goal of it this past week. Uh, we could pray for Orville, who was traveling, creating uh, memories in his story and connecting with others uh, previously in his story. Uh, we could pray for Bill Mortensen, who has been battling sickness again, just, you know, little sniffles. Uh, it's been kind of a difficult winter for him. We'll pray for you. And I'm sure there are countless others that we could pray for, as God continues to write our story uh, we 're going to hear another person 's story here in just a little bit, but I want to go before the throne of God and uh, and pray for those that we have just mentioned, Lord God, I thank you that uh, we get to be part of your story. I thank you that when you chose to begin uh, when you chose to create, uh, you chose to create with us in mind, you wanted to be in relationship with us, you wanted to to have us commune with you day in and day out. Lord, even though that was affected by the fall, by by man's choice to to not follow your your regulations, I thank you that you still, to this day, are choosing to be in relationship and walk with us. You're still choosing to, to write our stories. God, this morning I think of Roger and Uh, this new chapter in his life as he is uh, recovering from these two strokes a couple weeks back. Lord, I I thank you for uh, just personally my ability and my family's ability to be able to walk closely with him in this. Uh, And Lord, I pray for healing for him. Lord, I pray that uh, over these next weeks and months that you would help him regain strength in his leg. That you would help him regain confidence in walking. And Lord, I pray that you would bring a full and complete healing I pray that, that you would provide wholeness to him, Lord, in body, yes, but in mind and spirit as well. Lord, we lift up Lucille, who this week is recovering from uh, shoulder surgery. I'm grateful, Lord, that we have doctors who can go in and, and fix things. Lord, ultimately, though, we realize that you are the healer, the great physician, and that it's going to be your touch that, that, uh, that heals Lucille's shoulder. So we ask... We, we not only ask for her physical, but we continue to ask, Lord, that you would, that you would cover her emotionally and spiritually as, as her and her family continue to grieve the loss of their son. Lord, I, I ask your hand over the situation with the Palmers, with Bruce and Billy. I pray that your will would be done. Uh, Lord, I pray ultimately that unity would take place and that a peace would take place, one that only you can provide. Lord, I pray for healing for them in, in the wounds that they, uh, that they incurred, and I pray for emotional healing as well. Uh, Lord, I pray for healing for those that did this to them as well. God, I see them as the orphans and widows, ones whose, whose parents may not have loved them enough or kicked them out of the house or they didn't receive something, they didn't receive a, a direction towards you. So I pray for those that, that, that uh, took part in this. I uh, bring healing to them as well, Lord God. Lord, I pray for Orville as he's traveling. I thank you for him, for the value he is to this body. I thank you for the way he is an integral part in each one of our stories. I pray that the memories he is creating now uh, tie back to those he has had in the past and also uh, will look towards future memories. So God, keep him safe as he travels around. Lord, for Bill and, and for others who have been battling sickness this, uh, this winter, I pray for healing. I pray for your touch I pray for a comfort. Um, Lord, you never tell us that life is going to be easy, uh, and yet you tell us that we can find our strength, our hope uh, in you. I I pray, Lord, that you would uh, fully heal Bill's shoulder from surgery uh, earlier this uh, or late last year. I pray that you would heal his body from whatever colds or, or sickness he has. Lord God, I ask that you would heal us as a body as well. Uh, that the areas that where we are sick, where we are ailing, where we fall short of you, I pray that you would reach down and touch. Uh, Lord, we may not even know certain areas where we are sick. I pray that you would point those out. And God, may we come to you for healing. Jesus, I look forward now to hearing the part of the story that you play in Richard's life. I thank you that we as a body get to have a, a part in, uh, in his story as well. Lord God, I thank you that he is one of us. I thank you, Lord, for the story that is still being written. God, be with us as we converse about that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Richard, I'm going to have you come forward and have a seat. Uh, for those who haven't been here in the last couple of weeks, we have been sending people. We've been intentionally commissioning them to live life on purpose. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And we're simply recognizing where God has sent us. The the last couple weeks, you've realized that it's being sent to where we already are. Uh, Sometimes we get sent overseas. Bless David and Shelly Midkiff. You guys are are answering God's call. Are you here? They're not here. They're not here. Ah. Okay. What? we, we want God's part in our story, too, as they, uh, are now a couple weeks overdue. But we're also recognizing that God calls us exactly to where we are. And sometimes uh, we, we sense we have this call, and we, we start taking steps towards that, and God says, wait, maybe it's a d- different direction. Richard, why don't, you, uh, why don't you talk to us a little bit, maybe about what you first thought God calling you to, and now where uh, he is, he is, uh, you really sense him calling you to, to be sent now.
1: Talk out, yeah, out here so we can hear you. Um, when I first started at the church, I was actually helped James with the youth. Um, we went to Forklift, and uh, then I went over and helped Riley with uh, Opportunities Unlimited with the troubled teens. And then, uh, well, I got in trouble. And uh, while I was in prison, it was just amazing to see we started with five people in uh, Rock of Ages. There was five of us, and within two months, we had 60 people in there, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and as you're walking out of the chow hall, everybody's, you know, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, and while you're in prison, Christians are looked down on, upon. I mean, they're, they, they look down at you, but all of us had such a great walk in there. I mean, it was amazing, and uh, as for my story, everything was denied for me. Work release, parenting program. I mean, just they took everything, well, at least I thought, and I just kept praying and praying and praying on it. And uh, I got six months short, and I went in for a review, and I left the office. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm going home in six months, so I'm home. It don't even matter. 45 minutes later, I get called back into the counselor's office, and she told me, she goes, You were going to work release. I don't know what happened. She's like, you're, leave, you're leaving in two weeks. And I, it's just like, you know, and I mean, so I feel my, my calling is to go and try to start helping other people as a, in the jails, which I've talked to my probation officer, and he's going to try to help set it up where I can go in through the visiting rooms and preach, I pray with them and just tell them my story because, I mean, if I can do it with the faith of God anybody can do it, because, I mean, I've went, I've been down that road, and I mean, I'm doing fairly okay. Amen. Amen. Many years in and out of jail. Yeah, I've done all together, I think, 16 years. Okay,
0: and God is calling him back. You know, Ron Curry goes in every week, and yet, bless Ron's heart. I love you, Ron. Are you here? Huh. I'm I'm 0 for (laughs) 2.
1: Ron does phenomenal ministry in there. He really does. He was in there with me. He'd come in with me and make sure he was on my floor, and we did Bible studies and everything else in the county. It's going to be different, though, for Richard to look somebody in the eyes
0: and say, I've been where you were. Not just over a weekend, not just over a week, but I've been where you were. So as one of us, we want to send Richard. Now, what that looks like, you know, that may take a few, a few weeks, a few months to actually get it going. So we need to be in prayer that God would open doors, that God would allow the justice, the justice system to say, all right, R- Richard has a place here. You know, whatever ways we can help, we'll, we'll definitely, uh, we'll definitely uh, procure Ron's help. But we want to send you to that. And we want to, as a body, cover you in prayer. Because we recognize that that's a place that is part of your story, that that has dangers as well as potential joys. So uh, I'm actually going to ask Mike Crutch to come on up and pray for him. I'm asking Mike because uh, you guys have heard me talk about Gary and Sam and the relationship that they're walking, this kind of mentoring, discipleship, life-on-life relationship. Um, Mike and Richard are going to be in one of those as well. So not only can we pray for Richard, but we can pray for this relationship, and we can watch how God chooses to bless both of their lives through this. So Mike, would you pray a prayer of commissioning over Richard, and then we will uh, bless him and and anoint him with oil. Uh, If you are
2: able, I would ask you to stand in support of Richard as we uh, send him to, uh, to be a messenger of God. Heavenly Father, I thank you I thank you for already knowing what's in store for us ahead of time. God, we, uh, we don't always understand what we go through, but uh, I truly believe that, uh, that you do these things to prepare us to teach others and to preach to others and to help them reach a saving knowledge of Christ Jesus. And so I pray this feeling well assured that this is what you've done in Richard's life. Father, open doors, prepare minds and prepare hearts, and make yourself known in a way that Richard can't doubt that this is what he's supposed to do. Father, we, uh, we've walked this walk with Richard and, and his family, and we, uh, we, as we stand, are showing our support for him. And so, Father, now we send him, we commission him to be your
0: messenger. All these things we say in your name. Amen. 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 Richard, I want to anoint you with oil as you have felt called and sent by God. We as a body, with you as one of us, we anoint you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and send you in his name. Amen? Amen. 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 invite the ushers forward, and we will continue our worship in, in giving and in song. Lord God, thank you that we have the opportunity to give back to you. We realize we can worship in song. We realize we can worship in community. We also realize we can worship in giving. So we ask that we would do that out of a worshipful heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
3: A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time the money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned to his father, and while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. (laughs) But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill that calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son (laughs) was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. <coughs> his father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. In all that time, you never even, even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, You celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His his father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found.
0: Tim, thank you. Thanks for uh, battling through that, even with a little cough. This may come as a, uh, as a bit of a surprise to you guys, but I am not a hugely externally emotive person. My wife's laughing. What does that mean? It means I don't typically have huge emotional swings. If I'm happy, it's there, okay? And if I'm sad, it's there. Did you catch it? I know people who have the opposite. You know, if they're happy, they're here. If they're sad, they're here, and they're usually somewhere in between. I'm not claiming one is better than the other. I'm just saying that I am not normally an externally emotive person. To illustrate that, at some point over the last nine months, I have been excited. Okay, maybe a few times over the last nine months. And and I've chosen, or maybe not chosen, but I have expressed that excitement in different ways. There's been a few times after my son's gymnastics meets where they have done really well, and I've been excited. And with those around me, with other people in the crowd, and, and uh, other, other parents and things, uh, that excitement usually comes out something like this. Yes. Good job, boys. Good job. There was once I let out a woo-hoo, and it surprised Abby. But most times, yes. There was one time when uh, I went to Portland in the last nine months and uh, received some unexpected news, and I was so overcome with emotion that at that point in my jammies, I jumped from bed to bed and bed to bed and back and forth, screaming like a giddy little schoolgirl. My wife and sons enjoyed the show. I was excited, and I expressed it that way. Now, was one of those two expressions of excitement right? Was one better than the other? Was there a wrong expression in, that, uh, in either of those emotions? Obviously, each case was situational, and each case really stood on its own. The bottom line is, in both situations, I was excited, and I showed it. Our story today, the story of the prodigal son, or the story of the prodigal God, or the story of the lost sons, however you want to call it. Our story today has a pretty amazing contrast in expressive responses. The contrast of the father's response to each one of his sons. Now, as I share this morning, my goal is to allow you guys to feel what the father felt in that story. I want to give an accurate picture of the emotions the characters would have felt. Now, this is, this is more uh, doable when you actually dig into the Greek language there. Oftentimes, the Greek is so rich and so full that it doesn't translate well into English. So I spent all of Monday this last week just pouring over the Greek words that, of, of the father's response to his sons and what they really meant. So my goal is to feel what the father felt and to pass that on to you guys. Before I do that, I want to ask God's blessing on his time in the word. Lord God, I thank you that you give us emotions. I thank you that each one of us is different and that we express it differently. Lord, I thank you that our emotions can teach us about you and can point towards you. I pray as we dive into the emotions of the Father in this story that we would see your heart. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. A tale of two responses. First, how the father responded to the younger son. This is Luke chapter 15, verse 20. So the younger son returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now obviously, because I told you two weeks ago, this was not how the father was supposed to respond to the son. At least culturally speaking. In fact, had a group of elders been sitting at the city gate contemplating what responses the father should have if the boy ever returned, how he responded would have never crossed their mind. It was so far fetched, so far out there, so far away from what the son deserved. I mean, hear it again, verse 20. So the boy returned to his father while he was still a long way off. His father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. So how did the father express his emotions? He ran, he embraced, and he kissed. Now picture the boy, filthy, ragged clothing, head hung in shame, slowly and methodically, step by step, making his way through town, on his way to face the expected wrath of his father. He passes the elders at the city gate who just eye him as he goes by. Now, had the boy's eyes been up at all, he would have seen in the windows of all the the shops on the street, the people looking out. He would have seen the other young men his own age who were sitting there just shaking their heads. Eyes wide, jaws dropped because they knew what was about to happen. They knew this boy was about to get a beating and some public humiliation. So picture the surprise on their face when they looked the other direction down the street and saw this man running towards the boy. I mean, mean, picture it. Picture the surprise when they saw this distinguished father running towards the boy. For all my life, as I have read the story, I always pictured the father's run being kind of a jog, right? Maybe a 15-minute mile pace, nothing too fast. And yet, when you look at what the Greek word here is, it means to race. Not just a gentle jog, it means racing. So this father's got his man skirt up over his legs, and he is hauling down the street, right? His, his knees are showing, and in that culture, that was a humiliating act, Okay? So you see this guy running down and he's not just running like, you know, like a good marathon person who has been practicing for a long time. This guy is racing full speed and he's trying to figure out how to run again. Here's why. In that culture when a man reached age 25, he stopped running and he walked everywhere. Slowly, distinguished and proud. And yet you see in this story this man Running, racing down the street. He hadn't run in 40 years. So imagine the surprise on everybody's faces. Now the Greek word for run looks like this. We got right on top. It's pronounced treko. It, it comes in verses like Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with perseverance, with endurance, the race that God has set before us. See the same word treco, in 1 Corinthians 9.24. Paul says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs. But only one person gets the prize, so treco to win. Run to win. That's the word treco. But in this story, in Luke chapter 15, the Greek word that is used is draymon. It's slightly different. It it comes from the same root word as treco, but this one is a technical term for a foot race at a stadium. It's a technical term for a foot race at a stadium. Draymon is the same word used of the demoniac who couldn't get to Jesus fast enough to be healed. Mark chapter 5 verse 6, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him and raced to meet him and bowed low before him. It's the same word used when Peter hears that Jesus is no longer in the tomb. Luke chapter 24 verse 12, however, Peter jumped up and raced to the tomb to look. In both of these cases and in the case with the father in the story, these men could not get to where they were going fast enough. They were at top speed. They were racing where they were going. Now keep that in mind as we continue. Again, back in Luke 15, verse 20. So the boy returned home, he was still a long ways off. The father saw him coming, he was filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. The father ran, raced, and then the father embraced him. Okay? Picture this, Tim. Go ahead and stand up. You guys know how men hug, right? It's pretty standard. I mean, it's something like this, right? (laughs) Yeah, I could have asked any one of you men in here for a hug, and that would have taken place. Is that what happened in our story? Thank you. I'm coming back. There's more of that where that came from, okay? Do you think this man, skirt up here, hauling as fast as he possibly can, comes and slows up for his man hug, right? Do you think that happens? No, absolutely not. Thanks, Brad. Brad's like, what's what's going on? (laughs) I don't know this guy very well. The Greek word used here for embraced is epipiptu, and it literally means to fall upon. It literally means to fall upon. Three different uses of this word in the New Testament. We'll look briefly at each three. In the book of Revelation, the author is speaking of two witnesses who had been dead for three and a half years. Listen to what happens. Revelation chapter 11, verse 11. But after three and a half days, God breathed life into them, and they stood up. Terror fell upon all who were staring at them. Luke chapter 1, verse 12, similarly, when Zacharias saw the angel of the Lord, the text says, Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. Fear fell upon him. Have you ever had fear fall upon you? I have. I have. I was coming out of the Wyoming wilderness after leading a backpacking trip with high schoolers, uh, a wilderness where there was absolutely no cell phone coverage, okay? Okay. And we got in the van, and we were starting to drive back on I-90 towards Billings, still about 100 miles out. You're going up and over these little rolling hills. Cell phone coverage even then was spotty. But at top of one of those little hills, my phone buzzed, and it said, you have four messages. Oh, great. You know, I'd been in the wilderness for a week or so. So I, I, I dialed it in. I was like, okay, what, what's going to happen? And, and the first message in this frantic voice by Abby, who's still in, in Chicago with Sam, James, James, Sam's not breathing. He's on the floor. Click, click. And the service dropped, because I was dropping down a hill. Okay, I couldn't get to that next hill soon enough. I got up to the top. I dialed it again. It comes up. James, I don't know what to do. He's not moving. He's he got to help me. Click. Back down the hill. Okay, Up the next one. James, James, we're in an ambulance. He's breathing now, but there's not much motion. Click. Fear fell upon me i didn't invite it it just happened there was nothing that i could do about it that's that word epipiptu. to fall upon now another use of this word is in the book of acts when the holy spirit descends upon the gentiles for the first time acts chapter 10 verse 44 even as peter was saying these things the holy spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message You go a few verses later, 11 verse 15, Peter was recounting the story. He says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as He fell on us at the beginning. Now like in the upper room at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descended, it had nothing to do with the people's pursuit of it. It just happened. The Spirit fell on them. There's one more time this word is used in the New Testament. It'll help us understand the way the Father embraced this young man in the street that day. Epipiptu is used in Acts chapter 20, verse 10. Here the Apostle Paul, the story goes, he was preaching well into the night, and there's this room that was dimly lit, and it was warm, and there was this young man sitting in the windowsill. And when the pastor starts preaching for a long time, sometimes eyes get heavy and you start to fall asleep, right? Somebody say amen. 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 That's right. Well, this happened to this young man, and he fell to his death three stories out of the window. Okay? Paul, I'm sure, couldn't get down the stairs fast enough to get to this boy. And Acts chapter 20, verse 10 says this: Paul went down, he bent over, he fell upon this boy, took him in his arms. He epipiptoed him. The boy was smothered by Paul's embrace, wrapped in the grip of his arms, and he wasn't going anywhere. Can you see that embrace? Can you picture it? To fall upon. This is what the father did to the younger son in our story today. Now, let's go modern. Let's go 2014. I was sitting here thinking about this this past week, and, and what kept coming to mind was a commercial I've seen. Maybe some of you guys have seen it. It's a, it's a true to life commercial of a man who makes his half court shot at a Miami Heat basketball game. Okay? And he gets met at midcourt by LeBron James. For those that don't know, LeBron James is one of the best basketball players around. He's usually a composed person, usually pretty uh, dignified. And yet, let's see how he meets this man, the father in the story doing to this younger son. It's not just this man hug, it's to fall upon. Oh, verse 20, it says, filled with love and emotion, with love and compassion, the father ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him kinda like this, Tim?
2: <laughs>
0: Thanks, don't, hey, don't go anywhere, okay? <laughs> the man had run full speed, raced to his son, fell on him and then went in with this nice little, right? You can sit down for just a second. (laughs) The Greek word is kataphileo, and it can mean either to kiss passionately or to kiss repeatedly. Most scholars believe it's the latter definition used in this this story today. Now, what did this type of kissing look like? Well, you picture the immoral woman who's pouring perfume on Jesus' feet. Luke chapter 7, verse 38. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. She kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Seven verses later, Jesus is talking to the host, telling him what he didn't do. And he said, look, from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. To kiss over and over and over and over repeatedly and repeatedly, Tim... What a response to that younger son. I tell you what, can you see that, Father? Can you see the emotion going on? He ran. He embraced. He kissed. We're looking at a tale of two responses from a father in our story this morning. We've just seen a pretty impressive show of unfiltered emotion. Now, fast forward in that same day, five or six hours, and we get a look at the second response of the father. Luke 15, verse 25 to 28. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. His father came out and begged him. Once again, like the response to the younger son, the father should have taken some pretty harsh actions against this older boy. Now, I'm sure the guests in the house watched as this event unfolded. They may have heard the announcement that the son was coming in from the field, and they may have all waited in anticipation of him entering the celebration, greeting each one of them, and and then celebrating with them. And then imagine the tension in the room when someone came up to the father and said, Hey, hey, he's not coming in. He's refusing to come in. You kind of hear the music slowly fizzle out. I imagine the tension was so thick you could have cut it with a knife that was used to kill the fattened calf. And I imagine as the father, this time, very intentional, very regal, walked out the door to his son. I imagine there was every person in that party crammed around whatever window they had in that house to see how the father would respond. They would have expected yelling. They would have anticipated a beating. They, some of them were probably thinking, this guy is just going to tie up that boy and leave him to deal with him until later. And any of those responses would have been culturally okay. They would have been expected. But instead of those responses, the father went out. He went out. He didn't open the window and yell joyfully or, or angrily, hey boy, come on, come on in. There was no music in the background that he would have had to communicate over. He simply went out. The Greek word used here is I mean, pretty straightforward. It means to come or go. We see this in Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. Later that same day, Jesus left the house. He went out and sat beside the lake. Or Luke twenty-two thirty-nine. 39. Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left, or he went out of the upper room and went, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. What's amazing, what's impactful in realizing that he went out was that in leaving the party like he was doing, it was a public disgrace. It was not something the host of a party ever did. The shock from the crowds that they had had earlier in the day as they saw this man running towards this younger son would have been the same shock on the faces in that house at the celebration right then and there. Because twice in the same day, this father was willing to endure shame and self-emptying love in an effort to reconcile a relationship. Twice in the same day, this father was willing to endure shame and a self-emptying love in an effort to reconcile a relationship. It's a simple word. He went out. Verse 28 again. The older brother was angry and would not go in. So the father came out and begged him. Begged him, pleaded with him, entreated him, appealed to him, beseeched him. Here's the next amazing part of this story. To fully understand it, it takes two looks. The first is the act of beseeching, the act of begging. This is so much more than Hey, hey, bud, come on, man. We got some great chips and salsa in here. It'll mean a lot for me and your your little brother if you come on in. It was so much more than that. Listen to the sense of urgency when this exact same word is used in a few other verses in the New Testament. Luke chapter 8, verse 41. Then a man named Jairus came, a leader of the local synagogue, and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home to help heal his daughter pleading with him. It's the exact same word as used in our story today. Do you hear the earnestness in Jairus' voice? Acts chapter 2, verse 40, different story. Peter is preaching to the crowds, and it says, Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. Strongly urging. Exact same word as used in our story today. Do you hear the urgency in Peter's voice? Different story, same word. Mark chapter 5, verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Same word. Exact same word. Jesus, you've changed my life forever. Don't leave me here. Don't go on without me. Can you see the insistence of this transformed man? I could keep going with other verses, but I think you get the point. In each of these situations, there is a grave sense of urgency, necessity, determination, persistence. That is the tone in the father's voice as he speaks to the older son. Now, let's add another dimension to that. Here's the second look. Verse 28, the second half, it says, He came out and begged him. Begged or beseeched in the Greek is a compound word. For those English majors, you know what that is. The root of it is kaleo. It means to call. Now that meaning can change drastically by the prefix you add to the word. Let me show you what I mean. Kaleo, you see the root word, okay? You add an EN, N kaleo, and it means to call against or to accuse. You add an EIS, ice kaleo. It means to call in or to invite. You add epi kaleo," to call by name. Pro-kaleo, to challenge. Pro-kaleo, to summon. synkaleo to call together. Or para-kaleo, to appeal to or to try to reconcile. You see how big a difference a simple prefix can make? The gospel writer Luke knew this word well. He used it more than any other writer in the entire New Testament. So in our story, we'd be expecting the father to pro-kaleo the son. To challenge him, right? Or maybe to end kaleo him, to accuse him. At the very least, we expect the father, instead of leaving the house, to pros kaleo the son. To pros kaleo. To summon him as a master would summon a servant. That's what took place two verses earlier. Verse 16, okay? The boy, the older son, called pros kaleo, one of the servants, and asked what these things meant. Now, when a master summoned a slave, summoned a slave like described in this verse, there's a certain type of posture that took place. The master faced the slave, okay? Like this. You guys know Dwight Spots, right? Any of you ever had him go like this to you? (laughs) Those that have, you know what he's talking about, okay? Dick's shaking his head. It hurts, okay? He's not saying he's mastering your slave, but it's that type of posture, eyeball to eyeball. Okay? And in that situation, our situation in the story, the, the servant would have come, and he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have looked up at the older boy. He would have had his eyes down the entire time. I told you the story last week of the unforgiving debtor, right? In the story, the king summoned, called back the servant who, or the servant who he had pardoned, Matthew 18, 32. The king called in the servant whom he had forgotten, or he had, whom he had forgiven. He proscaleoed that servant. The king would have been facing that servant, and the servant would have had his eyes down, not looking up at the king at all. This, this humble, this, you're in charge, I'm not. You're the boss, I'm not. Many times in the Gospels when it says Jesus summoned his disciples or, or summoned the crowds to come with him, this word, "proskaleo" is used. It's like a teacher-student, uh, a teacher-student idea, a master-learner body position, in chapter 15, verse 28, when the father begged the son, proskaleo was not the prefix. It was parakaleo, which you probably already realized by looking at that. Parakaleo. Here's what, what's amazing about that para also speaks to body position, para speaks to somebody coming alongside, to somebody getting close to. Here, stand up, Richard. Okay? no, none of, none of the kissing stuff. Okay? You go from proskaleo, right, to parakaleo. Okay? You get up close next to you, you're, you're looking in the same direction. Thank you. Okay? Let that sink in for just a moment. Let it sink in. What should have ended up being a face-to-face confrontation ended up being a side-by-side, please, Please, look at things this way. The father came alongside the son. He he got up close next to him. Author Kenneth Bailey says, the father calls on the older brother to stand alongside himself and to look at the world from the father's perspective. To look at the world from the father's perspective. Okay, so you add the body position. To the sense of urgency that we mentioned earlier, and you get a more accurate picture of the father's response to the older son. It's just as powerful. Just as amazing. Two drastically different responses. One ultimate goal. Reconciliation and restored relationship. Two responses. One goal. Reconciliation and restored relationship. The father was willing to sacrifice all dignity, all pride, all concern for how people in the community would have seen him, all for the sake of a restored, reconciled relationship with both of his sons. He wanted nothing more than to have them both back in relationship. It's pretty powerful, pretty amazing, don't you think? So what's that do for us? Well, to me, it leaves me with a lot of questions. I've got to ask this morning, is, is the Father in heaven, is your Father in heaven, trying to get back in relationship with you? Has He run to you, embraced you, lavished His loving kisses upon you in an effort to restore a relationship that has been broken? If so, maybe today. is the day you decide to return back to Him. Of course, maybe the Father's just coming up alongside of you, quietly begging you to come back to Himself. Is He beseeching you to enter the party in heaven for your very own soul? Maybe He's drawing up next to you, simply telling you He wants you to see things from His vantage point, to see things through His perspective, Perhaps a situation in life that you don't agree with, yet God wants you to see things through His eyes. Maybe this morning, God is calling you to act like the Father in that story, to run, to embrace, to kiss someone who has strayed away from you, perhaps a wayward child or a, or a friendship that seems to be going the wrong way. Maybe what that person needs is you to hike up your man's skirt and run towards them as fast as you possibly can so that they can see you willing to endure shame and dignity for their sake. Maybe God's just simply saying, hey, come alongside someone. Parakaleo someone. Get close and be present with them question is, what is your response to this story this morning? For some here, you may have just enjoyed 30 minutes of, uh, of Greek words and some, some laughter. But for others of you, God's tugging on your heart. And you know why. And now today he's calling you to take action. If that action is to come back to him, don't wait. Whether it's the first time or whether it's a a time from a restored relationship in the past. Come back to him. If the action God is calling you involves someone else, don't wait beyond today. I realize you probably have a lot going on this afternoon. But if you wait until tomorrow or later in the week, the sense of urgency may fade. And then you may lose an opportunity to restore a relationship. I want to invite the worship team forward. I'm going to have them play a little instrumentally. I just want them to kind of quietly play. And I want us to just sit for a while and and let this message settle on us. I want us to ask God, God, what what do you want from me out of this? How should I respond to this? We've seen the father's two responses. Now, Lord, it's my turn to respond. What do you want? We'll just sit in quiet. We'll have them play a little bit in the background. And then they will lead us into a final song in worship when they feel ready. So let me pray, and we'll continue in quiet after I pray, just letting this message settle. Lord God, we love you. And we thank you that this story was told. We thank you that we get to see how a father in a parable responds to two sons, both responses we would not have expected. And yet both are amazing and powerful responses. Jesus, are you calling one of us to respond the same way towards a friend, to a family member? Are you calling one of us to respond to you? Jesus, I ask that your spirit would fall upon us now as we sit and reflect on what you would have us do. May the God who runs, embraces, and kisses bless you and protect you this week. May the God who comes out to meet you and stands alongside, smile on you and be gracious to you. May the God who urgency and passionately wants to be in relationship with you, give you his favor and show you his peace this week. Amen. And amen. amen. this